everybody. Welcome to our show. I'm Liz. And I'm Taylor. This is a podcast for and about the town we love. And now we're talking Darian. Hello, welcome to our 2021 political candidate interview series. I took over Taylor's intro. (laughs) It's funny handing the reins over on that one. Um, Yeah, we're excited. This fall, we opened our studio to candidates running for office on November 2nd in the contested races of Board of Selectmen and Board of Education. Uh, We set some pretty strict ground rules. We told everybody they would receive the same seven questions two days in advance. Uh, We promised them no commentary by us. Uh, of any kind during the during the interview, and we gave them the right to final review and approval before publication of their interview. That's right. And every candidate got back to us. Everyone was very considerate. We appreciated that. Uh, but the Democrats across the board have declined to participate. And there'll be no commentary, as Taylor said, but I have to give you one here. I, it's just my personality. I'm, I'm genuinely disappointed about that. Um, if you're going to be in an office and running for office, we've got to sit down together. We have to keep talking. We have to try harder and put ourselves in these uncomfortable situations. So um, I appreciate those that are coming in. I know it is a new medium, and I hope you guys enjoy this on your own time. Yeah, I hope it's helpful. Here we go. Hi, today is October 7th, and we're sitting here with John Zagrodzki, candidate for Darian Selectman's race. Hello. How are you? Great. You? Good. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks, thanks for, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, John. We're going to get into this quickly because um, we're going to keep these short okay. and brief. So, you know, John, you are the current sitting chairman of the Board of Finance. Our first question is, why do you want to be a selectman in Darien? That's a good question. As I announced at my State of the Town address last December, I decided to step down from the Board of Finance after 13 years. And my main comment at that time was that renewal is good. And I think seeing renewal in all these board positions makes a lot of sense as a general matter. And I think that for me, after 13 years, it was a good time to step back. I started to think about what to do next. And frankly, selectmen seemed like uh, an obvious choice, particularly because we had some folks stepping down from the board of selectmen. And I thought with my experience and background that I would be a, a good, useful addition to that board and try to be helpful, not just to the town, uh, but also the uh, other selectmen. So it's something I'm very interested in also because the board of selectmen focuses on town policy and how to run the town. The Board of Finance is really whether what's proposed makes financial sense and if so, how to pay for it. And so I'm also looking forward to that sort of intellectual shift and responsibility to uh, some some new questions and new issues. So that's why I'd like to run. So John, that's a good, I have a good follow-up with that. Uh, our second question, what makes you most qualified for this position? Well, there's the obvious one that I've been in town government for a long time, and I certainly understand town finances and budgets and all of that. But as I've alluded to a few times publicly, another really important aspect to these jobs is relationships and knowing sort of how things work, not just why they work. And so for me, I've spent a lot of time over the last 13 years making sure that I get to know people and I understand what's important to them, whether they're in government or in business or actually just local citizens. And I think having those kinds of relationships are what also makes you effective in these roles. And so what you want to be able to do is combine experience, relevant experience, with a reputation, a set of relationships, a credibility among the people that you deal with. And I think the more of that that you have, the more effective you're going to be in these government roles. And so what I bring to the table is a combination of experience and credibility, experience and relationships that I think will make me effective. Fantastic. Our third question is, what is your plan to address the flooding our community has experienced recently? It's a big problem, and 
I know that in the debate that we had earlier this week, the other side had pushed very hard to have immediate solutions. We need to take action right now. And I'm empathetic with that. Go spend any time with anyone who had any kind of serious flooding, and the first inclination that you have is immediate action. It's terrible to see the damage, the lost uh, assets, and uh, the children being involved in all this. It's absolutely appalling, and you want to take immediate action. Um, There's not a whole lot that we can do immediately that's easy to do. Some of these things could be uh, exceedingly expensive, Uh, or very disruptive to put in place. And we're going to need to spend some time thinking about it, as was alluded to in the debate. Given the severity of some of the recent flooding, a lot of the planning and thinking about exactly what to do might be a little bit stale right now. And so given what we've seen in these last two storms, I think it's going to be important to take a step back and rethink some of our planning. Some of the key issues for me are, look, how do we balance between coming up with solutions that may run into the millions of dollars with asking taxpayers to pay for all this when a significant majority of people in town are not affected by flooding. So we're going to have to make the case to those taxpayers that they need to participate in some of this when they are not affected by flooding. Another thing, as I mentioned during the debate, the flooding's not isolated to Darien. A lot of the water problems may be coming from geographies outside of Darien. And I'm not saying we can, we should take no action, but we need to understand those dynamics before we take action in Darien and spend a lot of money and then discover later that it's being caused or there's a significant cause of our flooding being generated outside this area. So that's the long-term answer. That said, I think there is room for short-term action, and I would do the following. The first thing is that we need to help residents who've been affected by this navigate the various supports that they can get from state and federal government to make their lives and situations better. So to the extent that any of those residents or businesses have questions about that or need assistance in uh, figuring out what to do next or getting the help they need to to find out what's available, we need to be on top of that. Uh, The second thing that I think is going to be important is making sure there's public awareness about what the town is doing to manage and maintain our flood assets. So, for example, there's been some criticism about whether these waterways have been cleared or the culverts are cleared, all of that. You know what? I think they do a good job at that. I've spent time with the officials in town who maintain those assets, and they've described at length what they do to to do that. And that may not be transparent to everybody, and I don't see any reason that we couldn't uh, make a big deal out of that and make sure everybody knows with pictures, videos, posted schedules, so that they know what the town is doing to keep those assets in good working order. Uh, Those are some immediate things that I think we should do to... uh, take go take action on this. Uh, those are fairly simple and straightforward things. The bigger things, I think it would be foolish to go out and start writing big checks for all of this and not be collectively comfortable that we're focusing on the right things that are actually going to make a big difference. It's a lot of money to ask of our taxpayers uh, and not be able to represent that that's being done as thoughtfully as possible. John, can I clarify one question on one of the things you said there? You Earlier on, and I think later, you said some of these things. I assume what you meant by some of these things are proposals that people have suggested. What, can you give me oh, any there, tangible uh, ideas so of what's been? Yeah, there, there's been studies in the past that have been done to try to address flooding. I think there's been some criticism as to whether uh, some of those were taken seriously or whether why they were not implemented. Um, it, a lot of that... I think at the time may have been something we could have invested in or or tried, but I think in retrospect, 
what they what they looked at some of those things. Um, and for example, I think Stony Brook, one of the proposals that I was talking to Ed Gentile about was there's some ideas on how to widen that and maybe redirect some of that uh, flooding. And I forget how much it cost, but it was north of a million dollars to implement that particular plan. And he said, the study shows that we could reduce flooding in the affected area by five to seven inches. I think that's great. Some of the houses I saw had five feet of water, right? So th- this is an example of, yes, there there are plans or things that we could try to implement and take seriously. But we need to take a step back and say, what are we spending the money on? How many people are benefiting from this? And does it really make sense in the scheme of things? And it strikes me that a five to seven inch Im- improvement in flood resilience, uh, when we're looking at five feet of water, is not a good expenditure of that money. It's not say we can't spend a million dollars. Let's take a step back and make sure that this is the right thing to do. Okay. I got one other small question to follow up about something you said. Sorry, John. I know we want to move on, but um, you also said you spent you recently spent a lot of time with uh, town maintenance people. You talk, when we're talking about your issue, the, the second solution you had about uh, the uh, maintenance, town maintenance of our flood assets. You said you recently spent time with you know individuals in town. Yeah, I talked to Ed Gentile about all that, and he okay. described some recently? of the work of, uh, within the last two weeks. Okay. He, he describes some of the work that they do to try to keep all of that clear. Uh, they spent a fair bit of time doing that in anticipation or before a storm and described that in some detail. But even I was not fully informed about everything that he did. And so that's why I suggested earlier, uh, let's get those facts out so that voters and citizens can see exactly what they're doing. Let's take pictures. Let's do drone shots. Let's make this a public awareness campaign so that they can take a look at the assets that we have <clears throat> and let them see a video of how this is being maintained, right? Mm. Why couldn't you show that? Let's put together a little uh, publicly of a, a learning session, if you will, so Some that everybody's aware of not just sort of how they're maintained, but what we have in place. I think that'll also help build public support if we find a deficiency in a long-term sense, right? This is, okay, we have all these other assets. You know what? This is an area where we need to invest. And when you see it live on video and you watch the workers and hear the workers talking who keep track of all this and try to keep it clear, it'll build public support. This is, uh, yeah, we we really do need to make that change or that investment because you can see visually that's an area of deficiency. We, we just have not faced this magnitude of flooding that would suggest a need for that type of public awareness campaign. And so I think there's lots of creative ways to start to get the public better informed on this and making them partners in that solution, because whatever the solution is, if it's big, we're going to have to come and ask for a ton of taxpayer money to do this. And the best way to get support for it is if they have been informed and part of the conversation all along. Great. Thanks for letting me dive deeper in that. Um, Okay. So number three here, John. Number four. Number four here, John. Moving along quickly. Aside from flooding. Which you've talked, talk, which we've now talked about extensively. What other three top priority items do you have for your administration? Oh, we've talked about this publicly. I'll just state state it in my own words. <clears throat> I think personal security is a big issue. The rise in car thefts and the general sense I've gotten in talking to people that they're more worried about personal security than they have been in the past. Uh, we need to address that, and it starts with awareness. Which is why is this happening? I think there needs to be a more of a conversation about this. Uh, There needs to be more of an explanation of what we're doing to protect the town citizens. And frankly, we do need to continue the campaign about personal safety, right? If we were living in the Bronx or someplace like this, we'd be a lot more vigilant as individuals about keeping our property and our persons and our families uh, locked up and paying attention. 
And I'm not saying that's where we live right now, but it's time for everybody to be aware that no place is perfectly safe. And it's uh, really incumbent on each individual to make sure that they've done what they can for their personal security. Uh, the second thing beside flooding that's a big one for me is cooperating with all these developers. I mean, the folks that are doing the federal property, the Corbin Drive with David Genovese, the uh, Palmer's property, it's fantastic that these individuals and companies have stepped up to do this. We need to have tight relationships with the individuals who are not just executing those projects, but individuals who might be considering future projects. I'm all about public-private partnerships and anything we can do to uh, maintain good relationships with those individuals and have good cooperation between government and developers, I think, is something that's done well now that we could do even more of. And then finally, the last one is efficiency in town government. We're all dealing with headlines right now, flooding, crime, you know, development. But when nobody's reading the paper and there's nothing in the media, the, gov the, the work of the town is going on behind the scenes. There's a ton of stuff that goes on with our protective services, with maintenance of parks, with uh, road paving, with kind of all that stuff that never makes the headline. And one of the things I'd want to make sure of is that we continue to deliver those services as efficiently as possible. That's not the cool, sexy, interesting stuff. It doesn't make headlines. It doesn't win election campaigns. But having the right talent in place to do those jobs, which I think is excellent right now, the right support for those individuals to do their jobs well, and a real focus on efficient delivery of town services, even when it's not in the headlines, very, very important. I'd be very focused on that. So those are my top three. Thank you. Shifting gears a little bit, do you support the recent vote by the legislature extending Governor Lamont's emergency powers? So I'm not a fan of concentrated government, as messy as it is, as irritating as it is, uh, as disappointing as it can be, especially when your side has got a particular thing you want done or a policy you want implemented. You hear people complain all the time, oh, if we just got in power, if we had the power to do this, just think how fabulous it would be. By converse, think how bad it would be if the other guys were in power and they could do everything that they wanted to. The great beauty of the American system is divided government and dispersed power, right? It should be very hard for the majority to come in, uh, take power, and wield it without any check, right? Because uh, our founders recognized the value and importance of protecting the rights of a political minority. And I think anytime you feel a taste, if I could just get that power to make something happen, how great things would be. Uh, I think it's a mistake. Uh, the Democrats in Hartford saw otherwise and voted to give their uh, governor, uh, you know, essentially unfettered emergency powers. And I think, um, I think that was a mistake. I would have voted against it. If you can't get it done through a regular legislative process with duly elected officials that have been in place for a long time, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. All right. No comments here. We're just going to keep going on. Um, question number five. Six. <laughs> John, this is good. This is why I'm not on the Board of Finance. Okay. All right. All right. Question number six, according to Taylor. I can help you with order. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay. Thank you. you. Check with me after class. <laughs> Would you support marijuana being sold in Darien now that it's legal? Oh, if things are legal, things are legal. Um, I can tell you that when you think about marijuana, is it causing lung cancer? No. Is it doing all the damage that everybody's worried about? No, no, no. I think marijuana is much more insidious than that. Um, I've known a lot of young people that have gone down that path, some personally close to me, 
And the effect that I see is that when you get strung out on that, you don't give a darn about anything. And so people who've got anxiety, personal problems, worries, trying to turn their life around, whatever that is, if you're using marijuana a lot, you don't really care about any of those things. Why? Because you're stoned. And I get that there's recreational value in that, but I've seen a lot, awful lot of people get strung out on that stuff uh, in part, not, not just because they're looking to get high and have a good time, but because they're trying to avoid doing the hard work or avoid facing the problems that they need to face. The problem with marijuana, especially with, you know, say, uh, younger people, not kids, but say 18 to 30, uh, is that's at a, a very important time for a young man or a young woman uh, to develop themselves. And if you get strung out on this stuff, the amount of hours, days, weeks, months, years that are wasted strung out on pot, as fun as it might be, absolves you of having to become an adult. And I've seen that happen with a lot of young people. And whereas if, look, it's legal and our friends in the legislature have decided that it should be, and somebody comes down here and wants to make sure that they can go sell marijuana in Darien, I mean, the law is the law and you have to permit that. Uh, I think for me personally, if I found all that, I would spend part of my time speaking to people and making sure they're clear, at least on how I see things, which is that marijuana is a uh, is, is a silent evil. It is a, it's an insidious product, and it uh, retards the development and harms young people at a time that that is is critical for them to become an adult. And uh, for that reason, I um, uh, I would strongly resist this type of thing, but would follow the law in any case. No. Yeah, I was thinking about a follow-up question there. If I would come back to you, I would say, if it was legal and there were perimeters put on it, like, you know, that you have certain age limit, certain locations in town, like certain zoning areas where it, would, it could only be sold into certain people with certain cards, like, does that change your answer? No. I mean, you the, the this legalization of pot is a, is is almost irrelevant. I mean, pot is readily available. The people who want to use pot are using it right now. The fact that it's legal is not going to change my opinion as to whether I should start using pot or not. Or not right? It just makes it maybe marginally easier, a little bit more upfront, that, that sort of thing. Uh, but for young people who have got problems or things they're trying to avoid uh, or, or issues they need to work through, uh, pot is a way to avoid all that. Pot is a way to, to not face those problems. And I've seen it time and time and time again. So you think I, it brings like more access I to our children here in this town? it a little bit town? more accessible, a little bit harder for mom and dad to say no, a little bit easier for somebody in college to just waste their time and not focus in a way that they should in order to develop into a functioning and independent adult. Again, there's lots of other factors. I don't yeah. want to oversimplify all this. I, it's just that repeatedly the way I've seen marijuana work is it has that effect on young adults and it is pernicious. It's not good. And so, yes, we can legalize all that stuff, but if I have a chance to speak with people about it or provide one-on-one -on -one counseling to young people, I'll do everything in my power to make sure they're clear about that and that they stay clear of that product, legal or not. Okay. Okay. And finally, what evidence do you see that Hartford would like to control local decision-making and what would you do about it? Well, the big thing right now is affordable housing. There is a law and a rule that says we need to provide affordable housing. And there's been a long process, I think, in the town to address all of that in a fair way. And I think the town has actually done a good job with that. It's not easy to create and, and 
uh, have more affordable housing in a town that's as developed as ours. But I think the town has done a good job in that regard. Will we ever achieve the 10% requirement in that law? Uh, no, there's simply not enough land to do that unless we're going to start building 10 and 15 story high rises. And so it'll be very hard for us to ever reach what they what they specify. Uh, I think the bigger fear is the prospect of control as opposed to actual control beyond a 30G is the headline, but there's a few other things as well. And so this is control over our schools through regionalization. It's control over who has access to beaches in Darien and what they have to pay. Uh, it is control over who decides uh, planning and zoning for businesses and residences. Uh, it is big decisions like putting in affordable housing with no local input. And we've talked about this at length in the campaign as well as in the debate. Um, there is the prospect for that type of control being imposed on this town. And it is true that we've not seen that deployed as, as uh, in the scary way that we all kind of talk about. But the idea that it could never happen is simply false, right? The, the powers out there exist. There are a number of members in the legislature that are sort of in an extreme position on that and would love to see all that done. And if they get a chance to do it, they, they will. And so I think our job is to be vigilant in a couple of ways. One is we need to be very well aware, uh, and having Terry Wood as our state rep has been extremely helpful in that regard, to be very aware of the prospect for rules or legislation that could affect local control, to make sure that we have a voice at the table when that's being debated and that we make sure that they know uh, what we think. We need to coordinate with like towns to try to combine our voice and speak out against attempts to, to usurp local control. And then we have to make sure that uh, we actually believe that. Uh, I've worried about our opponents. Uh, say what they will, they are all members of that party. They are all members of the political party that wants to impose the Hartford-level decision-making on the town of Darien. And say what you will, uh, but if you're a member of that party, you're a member of that party. And I think everybody needs to be a little suspicious about that when they, when they hear from those folks what they really think about that. Uh, as for my part, I think government works best when it's local. Uh, that has been my experience for 13 years. And as a selectman, I will spend whatever time is necessary to make sure that that local control, that local decision-making is preserved. Awesome. Thank you. That, that concludes our questions that we've given you up front. And we want to give you an opportunity to make a closing statement if you want to add something. I just wanted to thank the two of you. When I heard about this podcast and started to listen to some of your episodes, I said, this is the kind of innovative uh, initiative that really just makes Darianne so special to have you two ladies come up and say, we would like to do a podcast like this with different characters around town. I mean, occasionally you'll drop your standards and talk to somebody like me, but uh, to have you do all that, I've learned some things that I didn't know about a few folks and just to have the sort of positive, upbeat approach that you have to help people learn more about Darien and what it's like to live here. I think it's fantastic. And I just wanted to thank you both. Aww, thank you. It's really nice of you to say, well, you're a support for coming in and doing this. We really appreciate it. Not a problem. I was happy to do it. You yeah. guys have a great day. And thank you. You too. And all the best. Good luck. 